Why are you down in the dumps, dear soul? Why are you crying the blues? Fix my eyes on God, soon I'll be praising again. He puts a smile on my face, he's my God. That's from Psalm 43, verse five, from the English translation called The Message. And it's a good question for our day. Why do people get down in the dumps? And is there a reason to look up and to keep looking up? Well, we're gonna talk about that through the story of Jesus' ascension today on Faith Is. And I'm so glad you've joined us today. Welcome, gather yourself, get your Bible, sit back, let's explore this very often unexplored story we call the ascension of Jesus. Well, this is Faith Is, where we explore all kinds of faith issues, and I'm Pastor Rick Stevens. Really pleased to have you join us today. And sometimes people wonder about this idea of faith, and and I've kind of developed a, a working definition, you might say, or a, uh, I was looking for a concrete definition one time, and so I came across this idea, and so I've used it a lot, that faith is absolute confidence in the trustworthiness of God. Absolute confidence in the trustworthiness of God. Now, like a lot of words, that's not all there is to faith, but let me suggest that if you will work to develop absolute confidence in the trustworthiness of God, you will go a long ways toward understanding what faith is, what Christian faith is really all about. So let's explore that today. We're going to talk about the idea of belief and confidence in Jesus through the lens, as I suggested, this story of Jesus' ascension. And as I said, I'm Rick Stevens. I'm the pastor of Diplomat Wesleyan Church in Cape Coral, Florida. I want to give a shout out to that church and thank them for their support. Without their support, these kinds of things wouldn't be possible. And I just want you to know that they are concerned with you and your well-being. We do this for you to be a blessing to you, to provide a ministry of help to you and encouragement. And I hope that we do that. We do our very best to provide something valuable to you every week here on the program, Faith Is, because we want people to have faith in God, to know that he is absolutely trustworthy, that we can put our confidence in him. And when we believe, what we are saying is that we believe the story of the Bible is true. We believe Jesus is who he says he was, and we rely on the love God has for us. In other words, we put our allegiance in God, in Jesus. We place our full trust in him, and we walk in the way that he leads us to go. So that's what we're about on this program, and, and we do that all through the lens of the Bible and what the Bible teaches us. And, and I don't mean this at all in any sense of arrogance or presumption, anything like that. So please understand that. But we approach the Bible as though God wrote it for us, and so we could understand it. Yes, there are complicated things in the Bible. Yes, there are challenges of trying to understand the Bible. But we believe, I believe, that God has given us the Scriptures, what we call the Bible, so that we could understand it, and so we could know how to live, and so we could have in our lifetimes the best life possible. God intends to give us the Bible and that understanding so we can live well, so we can have the best life that he intended for us to live, 
And so we look at the Bible with confidence and hope, and we look at its pages to understand the truthfulness of God's story, to make sure we keep the sacred story straight. And so we can then have the right attitudes and conduct ourselves in a way that honors God and brings life and peace to us and the people around us. And today we're, we're following ascension, and so that means we're looking up. We're looking up today. Well, the ascension of Jesus is one of the events in the life of Jesus. It, it really doesn't get a lot of attention. And, and if I could be honest with you, and I, I suppose I should admit that we who are pastors ought to be honest, right? You wouldn't expect us to be any other way. So uh, if I were being honest with you, I would admit to you that the ascension of Jesus is one of those stories to me that it seemed like, why was it so important to put in the Bible? Uh, not, not that it's unimportant. I, I never thought that because if it's in the Bible, it has to be important. But until I began looking into it, I never really saw some of the things that, that I'm convinced God wants us to understand about that story. And so if you've been a little bit like me and you've kind of wondered about the ascension of Jesus and, and oh yeah, that's just when he went back to heaven with God and that's the end of that. Well, today we're going to look at some things and, and maybe we'll discover a few other things about that story that help us understand what the Bible is about and how we need to respond to that. So it is one of the events in the life of Jesus. We're familiar with some others, and, and if you're familiar with the story of Jesus, and you probably know some of these things just from living your life in, in these days, but the story of Jesus begins with what we traditionally call Advent or the anticipation of the birth of Jesus. God's people for centuries anticipated the arrival of Jesus. The Old Testament is full of references to that. And so we look forward to Christmas, the birth of Jesus. And Jesus was born in Bethlehem. The shepherds looked up and saw the angels and heard the announcement. The wise men looked up and saw the star in the sky and followed that star all the way to Bethlehem. And we understand that's a pretty big deal in human history a very big deal in God's revelation of himself to us, the birth of Jesus. We remember that Jesus was under threat from Herod because he was concerned about a competing king. And so God spoke to Joseph in a dream and the family headed to Egypt to escape the danger that, that awaited them if they remained in Bethlehem. Later, God told them that it was safe to return. So they went back home and, and reestablished their household there. And Jesus grew up and developed as a, as a child, as a young man. They went to the temple like many families did in those days. And you probably remember the story of Jesus remaining in the temple when his parents had, uh, had already gone back to, to uh, head back home. And they began to look around and say, uh-oh, where is he? What happened to him? And they couldn't find him. And it turns out he was at the temple talking to the the teachers of the law there and being about, as he explained, his father's business. Well, he continued to grow and develop. And one of the pivotal events then was the baptism where Jesus went and presented himself to John the Baptist and, and asked John to baptize him. And, and sure enough, John agreed to do that. And as Jesus was baptized and came up, the heavens were torn open and the Holy Spirit resembling a dove came down and settled on Jesus and God announced to heaven and earth that this was his son in whom he was well pleased. Quite, quite an event. Following that, Jesus was driven out into the wilderness where he was tempted. 
gave us a model for overcoming temptation so we didn't have to be tripped up by temptation. And that's probably a subject we need to talk about sometime. Don't let temptation trip you up and don't mistake temptation for sin. Just because you're tempted doesn't mean you have to yield to the temptation. And Jesus showed us that we didn't, that we could turn away from sin, walk away from it, be victorious over it. He showed us how you can be victorious over it as well. Don't cave into that. Do not cave into that. Well, then Jesus began to travel around and, and preach and teach. He gave us a, a remarkable set of teachings at the Sermon on the Mount, and we remember that and celebrate that. We notice his miracles where blind eyes were opened and people could see again, people could hear again. He healed a leper. Lepers were the outcast of the outcasts in those days. They were considered unclean and nobody could go near them. But Jesus actually reached out and touched a leper. And guess what? The leper got better. Jesus was undiminished, unharmed. See, when Jesus touches us, everything changes. And that was a remarkable story. And it teaches us a lot in our day that we don't have to be polluted by the things around us because the spirit of the living God lives in us. Well, I'm getting ahead of myself in the story because that's really what happened after resurrection. But, but you get the idea that Jesus did these kinds of remarkable things. People were amazed at his teaching, how he taught with authority and not like one of the scribes. And they listened to what he said and marveled at what he said. He was unlike any other teacher they had ever encountered. Well, and one of the things he began to teach his closest followers that he would be taken to Jerusalem, compelled, I guess, by the story of God. No one dragged him there, but, but he set his face toward Jerusalem and, and walked toward crucifixion. He reminded his disciples that he would have to suffer and die and be raised on the third day. And so we remember those events in the life of Jesus. We remember what we call Good Friday. And we, we remember it's good because Jesus on Good Friday took on himself the sin of the world and broke the power of canceled sin. We remember that his disciples lived through that day that we call Holy Saturday. They didn't really know what was going to happen. They seemed to have forgotten what Jesus told them. But they went back to the tomb on what we call Easter Sunday. And to their delight, uh, maybe they shouldn't be surprised, but let's give them the benefit of the doubt, okay? To their delight, they discovered that Jesus was not in the tomb, that he was alive. They went back, the early ones, to discover that and reported it to the others. And, and they were just overcome with both the mystery and the delight of it. So over the next 40 days, Jesus would appear to them from time to time and give them many evidences that, yes, it was him, and yes, he really was real, and yes, he was alive. And over that period of time, they came to, to be convinced and to understand and begin to put the pieces together of this puzzle we call the gospel. And a little at a time, I think, and then more and more as they went along, they got the idea that everything had changed, that Jesus really had come back from the dead, and things were going to be better. Things were going to be not only better, they were going to be the most amazing they could be. 
And then after that rather short period of time, just over a month as we measure time, they went out just outside Jerusalem. Jesus was with them. And Jesus was taken up into heaven. What we call the ascension it was hidden by a cloud and he was gone back to heaven, back to his father. And the disciples remained just as we remain today. And things began to change for them, for us. And it has implications for our lives and the lives of the people around us. And so we want to look at what really happened and what we can learn from and how we can build strength into our lives from this story we call the Ascension of Jesus. So we want to take a look at two different passages from the scriptures, one from Luke and one from Acts. They are complementary passages written by the same author, and we want, to, we want to look at them and see what it is that we can learn about this incident and the implications of it that we call the Ascension. So I'm going to read from Luke chapter 24, starting with verse 44. And if you're following along in your Bible, it'll be similar probably, but no matter what English translation you're using, and, and I encourage you to use one that you understand and that you will read. But let me read from this one. I'm using the New International Version, and, and I'm going to read. This is the end of Luke's gospel from chapter 24, starting with verse 44. He said to them, and, and this, this is the, the words of Jesus. He said to them, this is what I told you while I was still with you. Everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms. Then he opened their minds so they could understand the scriptures. He told them, this is what is written. The Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day, and repentance for the forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. I'm going to send you what my father has promised, but stay in the city until you have been clothed with power from on high. When he had led them out to the vicinity of Bethany, he lifted up his hands and blessed them. While he was blessing them, he left them and was taken up into heaven. Then they worshiped him and returned to Jerusalem with joy, and they stayed continually at the temple, praising God. So let's take a look at this passage, just this from Luke, the first telling of the Ascension story, so that we can begin to understand what's going on here. And it's really quite remarkable because he starts out by giving us the words of Jesus when Jesus says, everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms. Now, one of the things that we need to recognize there is what he is giving us in that statement is a summary of all of the Hebrew scriptures, what we would call the Old Testament. He was summarizing all of that in those three phrases, Law of Moses, Prophets, and Psalms, and saying that everything there that was written about the coming of Messiah, Jesus, must be fulfilled. Now, that's a very comprehensive statement, very comprehensive, because it doesn't leave anything out. When it says everything, it means everything. And today, we sometimes don't take the Old Testament as seriously as we should. But Jesus, by summarizing what it said about him and, and that everything in there must be fulfilled, was really saying to, to them and to us, 
don't consider the Old Testament second class. It's really vital and relevant and important for today, and, and we need to value that. It's also interesting that, that in the way he explains this, he seemed to be saying that these scriptures that you're familiar with will even answer future questions, because as you look at them, you will come to understand. And not only will you come to understand, but, but it says that, that they must be fulfilled. In other words, the expectations that are built up by the anticipation of Messiah coming will be fulfilled. And we should look forward to that with confidence and with hope. He goes on in this same passage from Luke. Uh, again, we get this fascinating phrase, and I, th I think this is so important for us to grasp. In verse 45, he says that he opened their minds. Luke tells us he, Jesus, opened their minds so they could understand the scriptures. Now, we talked about that, I believe, last week, but we should remind ourselves again, that idea of having their minds opened was similar to the idea of Jesus' miracles when he opened the eyes of the blind or the ears of someone who couldn't hear. It's very similar to the Emmaus Road experience that took place earlier in Luke chapter 24, and it really means he wants them to be able to perceive what's going on in the scriptures. Uh, we might say he wants us to get it. And, and that is so vital for us because we do want to get it. We do want to know where we can get the truth so that we can understand. And what he says there next helps us know what was most important about that because he talks about how it was written in the scriptures that Messiah will suffer, that Messiah will rise from the dead on the third day very significant that he points to that and its pivotal importance. And then he goes on to say, repentance for forgiveness of sins will be preached everywhere to everyone. And, and that's pretty remarkable too. Uh, that's comprehensive in its scope, everywhere to everyone. In other words, this message needs to get out and it will get out. And the essential message is wrapped up in that idea of repentance for forgiveness of sins. Well, what does repentance mean? Repentance means a change of direction. You know, so many people live their lives and they just feel like they're trapped. And I get that. I mean, we get ourselves in a routine. We make commitments to things. People count on us. And so some things that, that happen in our lives, they're just kind of, well, what's the word we, or expression we use? We say life happens. And that's true. We get ourselves into some of these kind of patterns or habits or routines. And sometimes people find themselves in a place in life, and, and maybe you find yourself that way today. And they think, well, nothing's ever going to change. Well, this idea of repentance is a change of direction. Now, now I can't honestly promise that your circumstances will change, but I can fully confidently say to you that you can change your direction. If you've been traveling in one direction in life and you, you hear God speaking to you today that you need to change direction, you can change. See, some people think, well, that's just the way I am and there's no hope for me. That's baloney. Uh, that's a theological term in case you didn't know that. That's baloney. You can change. That's the message of Jesus. Jesus took care of sin so that you could change direction and be forgiven. Notice that it says repentance for forgiveness of sins. You change directions and find forgiveness of sins or a release from that debt of sin because 
As the old song says, Jesus paid it all. He paid the debt in full. The debt of sin of all people in all times was paid by Jesus. And that's important because sin separates us or estranges us from God. And so this message that that Luke is telling us about is so vital because we can change our lives and we can find forgiveness of sins. We can reunite with God and we can be God's friend. And he says, this is going to be preached everywhere or announced everywhere. And and let's not get hung up on that word preached. Sometimes I think we make too much of of that as a technique. Uh, What it really means is it's going to be announced to people everywhere. And it's so important for us to see that because that reminds us of of Jesus' ministry, what he came to do. It reminds us of how that connects to the scriptures, what we call the Old Testament. It reminds us to our responsibilities as Jesus' followers, because that becomes our mission to simply let people know that there really is hope for change. They really can have a new life. And I don't want you to give up on that. I want you to change direction and discover forgiveness of sins so that you can be God's friend. He's eager to be your friend. And and my prayer, even as you're listening today, is that, that your mind would be open to understand this message from the Scriptures, because it's so important. And I really hope that you will hear what God is saying to you. It's not important that you hear what I'm saying. It's important that you hear what God is saying, that you can change direction in your life. You can know forgiveness of sins. You can become God's friend, and he is eager for that to take place. And then he goes on in Luke chapter 24 to help us understand that that what will happen then as a result of these incidents that he's describing, and it's the story of Jesus, is that we, we who are Jesus' followers, would then be witnesses of what we know. And, And this idea of witness... Uh, here I go again. I, I, I think I get myself into lots of trouble, but again, don't, don't you expect us to t- tell you the, the truth as we understand it? Uh, this idea of witnessing in the Christian context has become such a thing to so many people that they hardly know where to begin. You know, I want you to put all that aside and not worry about what you've heard in the past. Uh, put aside your misconceptions or your preconceptions or whatever conceptions you want to call it. And I want you to realize that what God is asking you to do, what he's asking all of us to do, is simply tell the story that we've come to know about Jesus. In the same way he wanted them just to tell people what they had seen and what they understood, he wants us to do the same thing. And that he goes on to say that that Jesus is going to send what the Father promised, and, and we know that refers to the Holy Spirit, and we'll get to that, but not this week. He says, go back to Jerusalem, stay there until you have power from on high, until God gives you this, this con- empowerment. Some English translations say clothed with power. Others say that they will be empowered. It's really the idea of a controlling influence that enables them to be these witnesses. And so Jesus saying to them, you need to wait in Jerusalem till that happens. You will be witnesses. You just need to tell people what you know and then go everywhere doing that. So while he's giving them his final words, he lifts up his hands and blesses them. And and it's really quite fascinating. During the blessing, Jesus left them. He's taken up to heaven. 
it's as though, and, and again, I wasn't there. I didn't see it, but uh, do you ever read the Bible imaginatively? So here's Jesus giving a blessing to his disciples. And as he's blessing them, he's taken up into heaven and he leaves them with a blessing that remains with them forever. And, and, and I, I just really like that imagery because that blessing continues down through time. And, and, and I think we need to put ourselves under that blessing as well, don't you? Uh, years ago, I, <laughs> I read about a, a country song that said, put your snout under the spout where the gospel comes out. Well, uh, that's kind of a silly way of saying it, but don't you want to put yourself under the, the, the flow of the blessing that Jesus left? And I want to encourage you to do that today because we're looking up, we're moving up, we're keeping our heads held high. Well, the disciples' response to all of this was that they, they worshiped Jesus. Probably what that meant in their culture is they literally bowed down as he was taken up and honored him. They returned to Jerusalem as he instructed them to, and they experienced great joy in all of that. You know, it's really quite interesting. When I looked at that, and I thought, well, so they've been overcome with joy that Jesus was alive. And now here they are after about 40 days of that. And now Jesus is gone and they're still celebrating with great joy. Uh, remarkable thing, remarkable thing. We got to give them credit and we need to share in that joy because we are them these days. Well, they, the Bible tells us in verse 52 there of Luke 24, that that they stayed at the temple praising God. And praising in this sense means they, at the temple, they were speaking well of it. It doesn't mean they had a continuous church service. I don't know exactly what they were doing, but there were lots of things that happened in the temple area. We, uh, we sometimes have a little bit more defined view of church because the way we conduct our services, and nothing wrong with that. But they would have gone to the temple area, and it would have been a lot of things happening in, in, in that surrounding uh, uh, geography, you might say. It wasn't all uh, continuous worship service, or it wasn't all led by a praise band um, leading the people in singing. But what it really means is that they spoke well of God. And we might say they, they put in a good word for God. Maybe they were telling the other worshipers, remember there were plenty of God's people around that came to the temple to honor God, and so they would have had the opportunity to speak well of Jesus and to, and to connect the dots, so to speak, for these people who didn't know the story of Jesus. And so here they are at the temple, and they get a chance to talk to someone about what God has done. They get a chance to tell them the story of Jesus. Remember, we talked about that just a few minutes ago, how important it was for people to understand that Messiah would suffer and die and rise on the third day. So a lot of these people there may not have heard that, or they may have, may have heard a little bit about that, but didn't really know enough about it to make sense of it. See, they didn't have radio stations and TV stations and internet and social media and all that. We sometimes take for granted that people hear. Well, many times people today don't hear things that we hear. And so they had the opportunity to speak with the people that were there and put in a good word for God. And, and could I just suggest that that's really what this idea of witness is? You know, sometimes we think we have to have some kind of presentation to tell people something. We know we have to have a formula to explain things. Uh, we don't have to have a formula. We just need to find ways to put in a good word for God. 
Uh, I'm not sure everybody is anti-God these days. I'm sure you can find some people, but maybe people aren't for God enough. And maybe your encouragement, maybe your good word for God would be what would point them in the right direction. So don't make this idea of witness something that, well, I can't do that. I don't know how to do that or, or, or whatever it might be. Just use the opportunity by your presence to let people know that there is a God in heaven who loves them very much and who suffered and died so that they could have their lives changed, that they could change direction in their lives and find forgiveness of sins. You see, in a, in a really important sense, what happens in this passage of Scripture is that, that we learn about the truth of Jesus, because the, the summary at the very beginning of the passage we looked at talked about how everything must be fulfilled that is written about Jesus in the Law of Moses, the Prophets, and the Psalms. Everything had to be fulfilled. And so we now know the location of the truth. It's found in the Scripture's revelation of Jesus. That's the truth. So we understand what is true and what is transcendent and, and what makes the difference in life and death and everything. It's the truth about Jesus. And then we learn the response to that truth. In the verses that follow, we learn some other things and we watch Jesus go back to heaven. But one of the important things is we learn how we are to respond to the truth of Jesus. And so we hear the story of Jesus. We tell the story of Jesus. We invite people to change their lives and follow Jesus. And we tell that story everywhere we have the opportunity because we are witnesses. And all we have to do is tell it in our own words. We don't have to make it more than it is, but we don't want it to be less than it is. We just want people to know, here's the truth, and here's my response, and invite them to make the same response to Jesus, to change their lives, find forgiveness, and be reunited with God. Well, we're going to continue our conversation about ascension. We need to take a little break, so I'm going to have you take a breath, and we'll be right back. Is a record player the best way to listen to music? Of course not. So why are you still taking vitamins that haven't been upgraded since the 1930s? Even if your vitamins aren't hard to swallow, it's time to upgrade to Healthy Cells pill-free, patent-pending microgel supplements that work at the cellular level to boost immune health, sleep better, focus deeper, and stay younger longer. They taste great, convenient on the go, and they're more natural too, without chemical binders, fillers, and coatings. Go to HealthyCell.com and use code OUTLOUD for 20% off your first order of any product. That's HealthyCell.com, H-E-A-L-T-H-Y-C-E-L-L, -E -L -L, and use code OUTLOUD for 20% off. AmericaOutloud.com. Simply put, we're patriots who believe in Ronald Reagan's vision of a shining city on a hill. From sea to shining sea, you can listen in on iHeartRadio, our free apps are on Apple, Android, or Alexa, or our world-class media player. America Out Loud Talk Radio liberty and justice for all.
Welcome back. You're listening to Faith Is, and I'm Pastor Rick Stevens. So glad to have you join us today. So honored that you'd take some time to listen to what we have to say and to benefit from what God is telling us from the scriptures. We're looking at the Bible story we call the Ascension of Jesus, the, the event after Jesus' life and death and resurrection, after he spent those 40 days with his disciples, and then he was taken up to heaven, what we call the Ascension. He went up so that one day we could all go up. And we've been looking at that through the story that Luke tells us from the last chapter of Luke, chapter 24. And now we're going to pick up that story with Acts chapter 1. And we're going to take a look at what we can learn from Luke's account in Acts. And remember, they aren't contradictory or anything like that. They're, they're actually helpful in each in their own way, and they actually fit together in a way that will help us understand that. So we're going to take a look at Acts chapter 1. Uh, in case you didn't remember who I am or where I'm from, I'm the pastor at Diplomat Wesleyan Church in Cape Coral, Florida. Been here since 1997. Uh, always appreciate our church and its desire to help you, and I want you to know that they are behind this and and happy for us to spend this time together and very supportive of that. And I want to thank them for their support and how we try to get the message of God out to, to people everywhere. So let's take a look at Acts. It's, it's a fascinating telling of this story, and we're going to learn some more interesting things that, that the scriptures teach us. So let me just read Acts chapter 1, starting at verse 1. I'm reading from the New International Version. You can read from whichever English translation you prefer. I always like to say to people, read the one that you can understand and that you will actually read. So here we go. Acts chapter 1, verse 1. In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day he was taken up to heaven after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. After his suffering, he presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Then they gathered around him and asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, It is not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. After he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes, and a cloud hid him from their sight. They were looking intently up into the sky as he was going, when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them. Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking into the sky? This same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. And that's Luke's account written in Acts of the ascension of Jesus. And so we have this connection between the story in Luke and the story in Acts. And so we want to take a look now at what's going on in the Acts telling of the story of the ascension of Jesus. And he gives us some connections at the beginning because he talks about how his earlier account was written to 
to tell us about what Jesus began to do and teach. Kind of interesting that, that he said what Jesus began to do and teach. He didn't include everything, and we know that not everything Jesus did was included. And it's also interesting that, that it says what Jesus began, because what Jesus started, he left for us to complete. And we shouldn't lose sight of that, and that's an important part, and, and we're going to look at that as we go along down through this passage as well. So he talked about that, how what Jesus had been doing and teaching, and, and how his earlier account ended with the ascension of Jesus, and this account now is beginning with the ascension of Jesus. He talks about how Jesus suffered and, and then came back to life and gave them many convincing proofs over a 40-day period, how he spoke about the kingdom of God. And, and how he gave instructions to the disciples through the Holy Spirit, to his chosen guys. They were given specific instructions of what to do. And it's related to the account that took place one time during a meal. Jesus had commanded them very specifically that they were not to leave Jerusalem, but they were to wait for the gift that the Father was going to send. And, and he reminded them, and they should have remembered that Jesus had talked about it, he reminded them that John baptized with water, but they would be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Quite remarkable stuff that's going on here. Now, now listen to what, what they come up with. Now, I, I have a lot of sympathy for them. I, I don't think we should throw stones at them. Uh, they, were, they were taking a lot of stuff in. I wonder how well we would do if we had been in their position. But they ask in verse 6 about the, the restoration of the kingdom. And, and they said to Jesus, Lord... Are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? Well, that's kind of a curious, curious kind of question to us, but we shouldn't be too surprised by that. And we should try to understand in their situation what that meant to them. And likely what they were referring to there was that the nation was under the thumb of Rome. Rome was an occupying army and, and they were ruling what was going on and, and, lording it over the people, and they were all of them, all of God's people were looking forward to the day when God would restore the nation and give them their independence back, allow them to return to the earlier glorious times of, of David and Solomon. And, and Jesus responds to that. He's not unaware of that or insensitive to it. But in verse 7 and 8, he says to them that it's, it's the Father, it's God the Father that, that has the authority to set those times. Uh, he doesn't even claim it for himself. In other words, God knows and he's not told any of us yet. Well, actually, I say I get myself in trouble on these things and I don't mean to, but here we go again, all right? Maybe you want to buckle your spiritual seatbelt for this one. It kind of depends how important these kind of ideas are to you. But there are a lot of people that it seems to me get so obsessed by this idea of when will Jesus return? And they, they seem like they just have to know. And every now and then someone pops up and says, I figured it out. I know. And uh, they really don't know because Jesus said, we can't know. He says, it's up to the Father. He's the one that has the authority to set those times. And, and so we, we need to step back from that, okay? And, and I, want, I want to urge you not to be caught up in that obsession or preoccupation. Uh, that's not what we're to be about. Um, Jesus tells us what we need to be about. He tells us in 
Acts here as, as Luke tells the story. And he, he's told us pretty specifically in Matthew chapter 24, and I don't want to get into all of that, but we're told what, we're need, what we need to be about, the mission that God has for us, the, the idea that we're to announce to everybody that people can change their lives, they can find forgiveness of sins, and they can be reconciled to God. They don't have to be estranged to God. They can be God's friend. So he tells us that's our mission. And so we, we should hear that and, and, and take that seriously. But in Matthew chapter 24, he also, in the same context where they were getting caught up in this idea of, of when and, and how and all of these kinds of things, Jesus said, said to them, do not be deceived. Do not be deceived. And I think we need to remind ourselves of that regularly. Do not be deceived. Remember, we talked about from Luke that, that Jesus opened their minds to understand the Scriptures. We need God to open our minds so that we understand the Scriptures, so we are not deceived. We live in a time when people are trying to deceive us in all kinds of ways. People use language to deceive us. People will tell stories and, and put a spin on something to deceive us. And Jesus says, do not be deceived, and especially don't be deceived about the Son of God the Messiah, the Savior of the world. So we need to emphasize what Jesus emphasized. We need to emphasize the idea that we're to announce that Jesus has come. We need to emphasize the idea that we can, we can admonish people that they can change their lives and find forgiveness of sins, and they can be God's friend. And we need to emphasize that we must not be deceived about the person of Jesus, what he did, who he is, and how we are to follow him, and we're not to be deceived about the Bible and its story and what it tells us. We are supposed to pay attention and follow it. So please, whatever your thoughts are about one thing or another, don't be deceived. I, I talked to a young man recently, I had a number of questions, and I didn't really, in the setting where we were, have the opportunity to, to really answer his questions very well. And I went away hoping I helped him, but a little concerned and, and really wishing I could have sat down with him and had lunch or something and, and gone through some of that. Because in his, in his desire to follow Jesus and in his desire to understand, he, he had gotten a lot of things scrambled and he'd heard one person say this and another person say this. And it just came across to me as though, here's a young man who, who just needs to not be confused, to not be deceived. And, and I don't know that anybody was deliberately trying to deceive him, but you know, when you, when you get confused, you, you find it difficult to navigate through all these things. And, and we need to make sure we're not deceived and that we really do understand what the Bible is trying to say to us. Well, he reminded the disciples there in Acts chapter one, that they would receive power from the Holy Spirit. And that idea of power, again, is, is an influence that would, that would be a controlling or an enabling influence in our lives that would allow us to do things, including be witnesses to Jesus. And all that witness idea is to tell people what we know, what we've seen, what we've experienced, what we know from the Bible is true. It doesn't require some special anything, really. It just requires us to tell people, here's what I know. Here's what I know to be true, and, and be honest and, and open about that idea. So they're there with Jesus, and then they saw Jesus taken up. Up he goes, and it says in verse 9 that a cloud hid him. 
and they, they didn't see him anymore. He, he was taken away from them. Uh, you know, you might ask yourself, where did he go? Well, the best answer we have to that is to heaven. And, and that's a good one. Uh, Jesus with the Father. And we know that he's preparing a place for us. He told us that. And so we need to be ready for that. And we need to not be deceived about the story of the Bible and the message of Jesus. So here are these guys that had been with Jesus and seen him and, and he's up and their eyes follow him up. And the, the Bible tells us they're looking intently up into the sky as Jesus is going up. And, and it's like they just stood there staring. Well, I think we would have all done that too. Wow, what have we just seen? And while they're looking up, while they're standing there looking up, two men appeared and, and uh, engaged them in conversation. Now, it describes them as being dressed in white and, and speaking to them. That reminds us a little bit about the incident at the uh, tomb when Jesus' resurrection took place, that they went there and there was a person there in white. Well, these two men, described as two men dressed in white, stand beside them and, and say to them, Men of Galilee, why do you stand here looking into the sky? This same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. Uh, I, I find that so amusing. Why are you standing here looking up? Well, duh, it's obvious why we're standing here looking up. Jesus just went that way. Uh, I, I guess that's kind of what I would have wanted to say. They were probably a lot more polite than, than me. But it's fascinating what they say to the guys as they're looking up. They say, he'll be back. He'll return. One day, in the same way you saw him go, he's coming back. And, and that should be an encouragement to all of us to realize that one day, in the same way he left, he's coming back. So how do we put all of this together and connect all of this? Well, let me, let me give you a, a few ideas that, that maybe will help you think about this. Um, I mentioned some of the incidences in the life of Jesus and Ascension being one of them. And we started with Advent. Well, if you remember, and if, and if, and if you've connected this a little bit, you would realize that during the season of Advent, during the anticipation of, of the birth of Jesus at Christmas time, we are fond of reminding ourselves that, that the birth of Jesus means meant that God is with us. And so we will often use that phrase, God with us, Emmanuel. And, and, and that means something to us because it reminds us God didn't abandon us. He didn't leave us. God is with us. Well, ascension reminds us, and, and, and we live in the not yet realized, but certain it will happen. Ascension reminds us of the promise of God that one day we will be with God. You know, God came to be with us, but he hasn't abandoned us, and that's not enough. One day we will be with God. That's what they said there in verse 11. In the same way, he'll, he'll come back, and then that day we will be with God. So we need to live in light of that. That's important. Um, ascension reminds us of Jesus' absence. He did go back to heaven. It tells us that in Acts. So he is absent. But you know, that's not the whole story either, because there are a lot of ways we can think about his presence, but when you go to church and when the 
pastor officiates at a communion service, or sometimes we call it the Lord's Supper or Eucharist, we remind ourselves that in that celebration, when we gather at the Lord's table, the Lord himself is present with us at that time. And we need to celebrate that Jesus has gone to heaven at ascension, but he has remained present with us when we gather around his table. And we'll get to the rest of the story of him being with us when we get to Pentecost, which we'll talk about next week. But ascension is absence, but communion, the Lord's Supper, gathering at Jesus' table, that's Jesus being present with us. And we should celebrate that. We should be glad for that because it makes huge difference. And another thing that occurs to me as I was thinking about this is that that there's a lot of things in the Bible where we live between things. I don't remember a lot about my high school chemistry. Um, I didn't dislike the class. I didn't necessarily or don't remember liking it a lot. Uh, didn't dislike the teacher. You know how it is sometimes in high school. And don't remember that being my favorite class or anything, but it wasn't my least favorite by any means. And, and I remember a few things that we were taught. For example, I remember one time that the teacher said to us <laughs> that no matter what you get out of this class, you need to remember one thing. And so always remember the, the importance of hydrogen bonding. Well, that's nice. I always remembered that she told us that hydrogen bonding was important. The problem I had was I, I couldn't remember what she really meant by hydrogen bonding or why that was important. Well, I learned a little bit about that later, but but um, one thing I did hear her, and she didn't say this was so important, this, this just, I don't know why, this other thing that she explained one day just really got my attention, and, and I've never forgotten it. But she said to us, do you know what the definition of time is? Well, I didn't know what the definition of time is. I knew that time passed, and sometimes at school it passed slowly, and at the end of the day, we all anticipated the time coming when we'd be liberated from, from sitting in class. But she explained that, that the definition of time is simple. Time is simply the interval between two events. And that made sense to me as a high school student. It was the interval between the time school started and the time school ended. And I could understand that that was time. And whether I thought of it as a long time or if the day passed quickly, it was still the interval between those events, the start of school and the end of school. And you know, there's a lot of that idea of the interval between two events in the Bible. Ascension is one of those, and we'll get to that, but think about some others. We live our lives between the Garden of Eden and the coming of the Holy City, the New Jerusalem. We live between the time when Adam and Eve yielded to that temptation and the time when God is going to make all things new, and we'll see the holy city, the new Jerusalem, the place he's prepared for us. We live between those two events. Another one that occurred to me when I was thinking about this business of between is that you may remember the story of God's people being enslaved in Egypt, and Moses comes along and says to Pharaoh, let my people go, and Pharaoh says, not going to do it. And there's this battle that goes on between God and Pharaoh, and of course, God is going to win. They're no question about that. And God introduces Passover and the people of Egypt compel God's people to leave. 
And so they march out of Egypt as free people going out to honor their God. Remember, that's why Moses said that, that Pharaoh should let them go, let them go worship God. So they go out to, to honor God, to be God's people, and they come up to the Red Sea, and they don't know how they're going to get across, and they look back, and here comes Egypt's army, and they're bearing down on them, and they think they're going to be destroyed. But God puts himself between the Egyptian army and his people. So here, God's people are trapped between the Red Sea and the Egyptian army, but God says, no, not so fast. I'm going to put myself, remember that pillar of cloud and pillar of fire described there. He puts that between the advancing army and God's people, and he delivers them because the sea opens up and they go across on dry land. Uh, betweenness isn't always bad, is it? It's kind of good to have God between us and our enemies. I was thinking about this idea of betweenness. Jesus, we often have used the phrase, was crucified between two thieves. And, and that's true. We see that portrayed regularly. And I was thinking, well, what does that mean? Well, it gives us a picture. One thief was repentant, and one thief was resistant. You know, we can change our lives. We can be repentant, or we can be resistant. We live our lives between those choices. And I would encourage you to choose changing your life. We live our lives through what I sometimes call Holy Saturday. That was a perpetual Holy Saturday, because we live between the deliverance that Jesus brought us and and the one day when he comes to make all things right. So we live between Good Friday and, and that ultimate Easter or resurrection. We live on Holy Saturday. We know what God has done, and we know what God is going to do. And that's a very good thing. And then when it comes to ascension, we live between Jesus ascending to heaven and Jesus coming back in the same way, just like the two men dressed in white said. And of course, I remind ourselves, myself, and we remind ourselves at church, and I want to remind you that we also live between Sundays. And wouldn't it be helpful for us if we would begin to, to live our lives in light of that, that we live between Sundays? So we look back at the previous Sunday and celebrate uh, the opportunity to meet with God and his people, while we look forward to the next Sunday in anticipation that, that we only have six days until we get back together on Sunday. And God gave us the gift of Sunday, and we should take advantage of that. And, and you'll probably hear me always encourage you to find a church. If you're able to attend, and I know there's virus challenges, but find a church that is, follows the Bible, is faithful to its teachings, follows Jesus, is faithful to what he told us, and get involved and participate in that. Don't look for the church that's closest to you. Look for the church that's closest to the Bible. That's what really matters. And then all of this story wraps up in this most remarkable way, and we mentioned it earlier, that Jesus departs from his disciples as, as he's taken up into heaven, and he raises his hands and gives them a blessing. Now, I find that absolutely fascinating to think about. So here Jesus is, he's being taken up into heaven. He raises his hands and leaves them with a blessing. And what they see is Jesus being taken away. They see the nail pierced hands. They're reminded of what has happened and he goes away back to heaven. And as we come to the end of our time today, I just want to leave you with that sense of blessing that God is, is here to bless us, to bless you to remind you that you can have faith, that your life can be made new, 
to remind you that he wants to help you as you change your life and you change the direction of your life. He wants to help you have absolute confidence in him so that you will understand that he is a trustworthy God and that you can follow him faithfully. And so take a look at this story of, of ascension. And when you take a look, see Jesus, see what he has done, see his invitation to follow him, to have a changed life, to find forgiveness of sins, and to receive the blessing as though he were blessing you on that day when he went back to heaven with his father. So may the Lord bless you. May the Lord make this week the best one you've ever had. May your view of ascension expand and be so encompassing that you realize that it encompasses the whole of the Bible. And as you follow Jesus, you can find that your life changes in ways you didn't expect, that you're made new, and indeed you have faith. You have confidence, absolute confidence in God. Amen.